was a song that we're listening to because why? Because my case is from the 80s. (laughs) Oh, also, by the way, I'm Katie. And I'm Kate. And this is Premeditated. Let's hear it for my baby. Let's hear it for the murder. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Just to clarify, the serial killer featured in my case tonight is not my baby (laughs) or the boy. And let's not hear it for him. <laughs> Mainly because we don't know who he is. Yeah. Oh I don't know. Maybe he could end. Oh, jeez Louise. Yeah. So anyway, so welcome back. Uh, we started the podcast with a little bit of music to get us hyped up. For to some get 80s, us hyped up. For some 80s murder. Oh, yeah. It's going to be good. And, you know, we love singing on this podcast. So you're, wel- you're so welcome. Yes. It's someone's birthday tomorrow. No! It's someone's birthday! Oh. Kate's birthday! <laughs> Please don't do that. <laughs> Never uh, do that. Never do that again. Yes. Yeah, it's my birthday tomorrow. Are you doing anything fun? I'm going to the spa. That's right. You're taking tomorrow and Friday off. And right? Friday off. So tomorrow morning I'm going to the spa and I'm getting a massage and a facial. Um, the last time I went there a uh i had a male masseuse which i had requested not because i'm creepy and perverted which but, you are but that would yeah but i am but other than that other than that it's because i like to be ground out like a piece of meat well happy birthday thank you for me and all of our listeners and all of our listeners <laughs> i've also decided that i'm not turning 41 tomorrow i'm just gonna stay 40 yeah like i really like 40 or you're like it's like you're you're like third 38th birthday you know yeah i mean i don't mind being 40 like i actually was really happy to turn 40 and now i just kind of want to stay now 41 it's there. just like it's not like a special it's like we're like, like, like oh, hey cool. like let's go to disneyland for your 41st like nobody says yeah. that like it's i it's i hope nobody says that for like your 40th either What's no. that Disneyland? For your <laughs> That's 40th. true. But okay, creep. My friend, no, my friend Tanya said she was. Oh, she'll convert really me, like that. And I said that is my nightmare. Like yeah. Disneyland, I told you before, Disneyland and Disney World, people where you can't see their faces and are in costumes, <laughs> like is like a Halloween. nightmare. Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, Halloween. Yeah, we had a Monday time. night. We had a blast. Yeah, it Kate, was. Kate came around with the kiddos. This was your first time ever going with us. Normally, yeah. she's like. A curmudgeon on her couch with yeah with grumpy Keith. Like, yeah, get off my lawn! Get off my lawn! I said you only take one. I know. And Keith is like the le- like <laughs> least crabby person ever. But when it comes to Halloween, he's like, no, no, don't knock on my door, you bastard. <laughs> well, because our dogs go nuts, and that startles us. Yep. And we both hate being startled. Oh, but it was really fun. It was, it was like, fun. It was, it was the best Halloween yet. I have a four-year-old, and so this is definitely my favorite one with him so far. He was like, he was adorable. He wasn't. He's like the best. I know everybody says it about their own child, but like, there were, we walked by these like I can't remember it was where we who we were talking to. But you're like, hey, it was some children. Hey, I recognize you from the park, and I'm like, Kate, why the fuck are you at the park? You fucking weirdo. <laughs> 
have kids. There is no reason for you to be apart. That's creepy. I know it was with the dog. It was with Keith and the dog. But I'm still like Kate now. Yeah, the little because that little girl is adorable. Oh my god, I recognize you from the park. I'm the creepy lady that sits on the bench. By <laughs> There's no sitting. There's only crouching or standing. <laughs> I was just like, Kate, God, you're such a weirdo. We should probably get into it. We've been chit-chatting here yeah. for a while, but I am jazzed to hear about your story, even though it sounds from what well, you said, this is a uh, a doozy. A doozy and also one that doesn't have a real person. Real, there's it's, it's, no we don't real conclusion. God damn it, Kate. You I love know. These. I know. I do love them. I do love them. <sighs> okay, Speaking well, of which, for uh, our listeners, any listeners that love the miss you know mysteries yeah um they're db d as in dog b as in boy werner w-e-r-e-w-e-e-w-e-r w-e-r-w-e-w jesus i sound like i'm buffering w-e-r-w shut up w-e-r-n-e-r db werner or werner or whatever he writes uh a series like there's like four different books called uh uh unsolved serial killers yeah 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 are they anthologies or are they yes oh i love an i love yeah yeah and and some of them i had heard of but this particular one i had never heard of Which is interesting because I have several friends from Massachusetts. Ooh, we're doing Massachusetts. Massachusetts. We've got about 16 Massachusetts stickers. I know. I figured, why not? We've got a sticker for it. We've got a sticker for it. (laughs) Fucking stickers. God, I hate those. The stickers will keep you up. I know they do. They they give me nightmares. Um, And when I mentioned New Bedford, Massachusetts to uh, one of my friends who's from Massachusetts, who's a mass hole, um, she said, oh, man, that place is that place is a shithole full of of trash people. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm doing a thing about a serial killer. (laughs) What do you expect? (laughs) So, yeah, this is called the New Bedford Highway Killer. Okay. Yeah. Let's go. Let's Uh, do it. Let's, should we just, let's do it. Let's just just get started. Let's let's jump in. This takes place uh, in the 1980s. So primarily like 1988 through 1989. That's which is why we were listening to some 80s jams. Yeah. Some 80s jams. Yep. Um, I was obviously seven years old. I was just born Uh, in 88. Oh. I'm a baby. Yeah, I mean, they say it started in March 1988, and you're two months months before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Could have been you. Yeah, it could (laughs) have. Not unless you were a prostitute. Uh, Were you a baby baby prostitute? prostitute? (laughs) Someone told me I smelled like a baby prostitute, (laughs) because I got this perfume that smelled like Skittles. (laughs) What is that from? You smell like a baby prostitute. I don't know. Is it from Mean Girls? I think so. I think it must be. So... Obviously, uh, in the 80s is when they had, you know, cocaine was all the rage, right? right? And like hard, we're getting into more, you know, like harder, harder drugs. drugs. But like cocaine was very widely used. And then, of course, with with harder drugs comes various criminal elements that like control drug dealing and then right. se- sex trade. And, you know, I mean, those things, a wild time. Yeah. I mean, and those things have been around forever, but you'll hear any like hardened detective yeah. in any show say like, Oh, Chicago in the 80s was insane. Yeah. Or New York, New York City in the 80s was insane. And the same goes for New Bedford. Yeah. 
The, it's like New York, just yeah. a little harder. <laughs> so it was kind of a, it was a little bit of a hard, little hardened. Harder like area, I, yeah. it was the sex trade is definitely very active with cocaine and heroin on the scene now. Like it's very lucrative. Um, for drug dealers and pimps. And uh, these girls are just, you know, getting hooked. Society is totally unsympathetic. Yeah, right. It's like, I mean, it's it's any, it's it's similar to like the kind of victim blaming with rape. Like, oh, you wore yeah. that, you asked for it. Yeah. Well, you're in this very like turbulent and violent profession. You asked for it. Like, no, they're right. trying to make a living. They're trying right. to make ends meet. They're asking for, for money in exchange yeah. for sex. They're not asking to be murdered. Well, and I'll fully admit, I am completely guilty of it as well. Like you, you know, like when Molly Tibbetts went missing and in Iowa and, you know, I was thinking the whole time, like, oh God, that poor girl, like she was just running up, minding her own business, contributing to society. And then she just disappears. Equally tragic is someone who perhaps is in a higher risk environment and they don't deserve to get murdered. No. Yeah. I, I agree that statistics are more likely that they will just because of the environment that they're in and what they're dealing with. But it's like statistically speaking, pregnant women are more likely to get murdered too. And it's like, you're not going to be like, well, you asked for it. You had it. You're pregnant. Like yeah. it's fucking stupid. It's victim blaming. It doesn't matter. If that's, if that's the position that you, if that's where your head goes, when, when you see like tragedy is like, well, it must be their fault. You're fucked up. Yeah, but I think in a way, like we do, I think it's human nature to try and rationalize it. That's true. And I find myself unintentionally blaming the victim. Like as soon as I hear, you know, someone, so-and-so was a runaway or was possibly had a drug problem. I find myself taking that a bit lighter than like, oh, she was on her way to class and she was kidnapped. Like, cause I'm just like, well, you know, she was doing drugs and like. Right. She was in that. And it is tragic when someone is not engaging in risky behavior and is just taken yeah. ra- by a random person. But every victim deserves equal attention Absolutely. and equal sympathy. Mm-hmm. You don't know. I have to remind myself of this. I I have no idea what that girl who ran away or took drugs yeah. or is selling her body has gone through. No, we don't know any, we don't know these people's stories. Yeah. So anyway, just to give, not, I'm off my soapbox now. (laughs) So uh, let me go into kind of what the town of New Bedford. What it was like. What it was like. I actually looked up a picture, like just briefly of New Bedford. Like when I looked it up on Google earth and it, I thought it looked cute. Cause I was like, Oh, yeah. it's like little cobblestone streets. And like, it's a historic Massachusetts town. But again, according to my friend from Massachusetts, it's apparently a shithole. <laughs> yeah. So it initially, it started as a whaling city. Mm-hmm. Um, it's considered to be one of the most important whaling ports of the 19th century. Wow. New Bedford is still renowned for having um, a high population of Portuguese Americans, as well as a large fishing fleet. And it, it was made in a household name in the 1850s after being the setting for Herman Melville's Moby Dick. Oh yeah. Okay. I didn't know Which that. I knew I'd recognize that name, but yeah, I, I haven't read Moby Dick no. forever. The ge- geographical position of the city made it ideal. Like we mentioned for the transportation of imported narcotics, especially heroin and cocaine. Oh, okay. It is surprising um, though. Like I didn't think that they made it all the way up to the Northeast. Like I, that's, I mean, 
if you think about it, it's anywhere. Yeah. Like coming down from Canada. Right. Like, That's true. You know, I know you just think of like Florida. You're right. like, That's oh yeah, part. like they're you know, yeah, like cartels or, or right. California. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's it's happening up there as well. So yeah, heroin and cocaine kind of transformed the demographic of the population. So okay. it sounds like it started out pretty quaint, like quaint little whaling village. And then as we got uh into the 20th century and towards the end of the 20th century and the really hard drugs were coming in. So also the massive influx of drug dealers as well as sex workers Mm -hmm. uh, made it difficult for the police to keep up. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, at the time, even now it's a fairly small city. So, yeah. So, the killings took place between March 1988 and April eight, uh, 1989. Um, they all happened in New Bedford. Okay. All right. So uh, now I'm going to go through the victims. So I want to mention beforehand that a lot of these victims, by the time they found their bodies, they could not determine a cause of death. So how they've linked them all together is by the victimology, who the victim was. So Robin Rhodes, the first victim to go missing was Robin Rhodes, who disappeared in March, 1988. She was a 28-year-old mother um, who lived in New Bedford at the time of her disappearance along Route 140. So all these take place along Route 140, which is where I think a lot of the sex workers uh, operated. While she was not involved in the sex business, um, which was unique, she was addicted to cocaine and heroin. Um, A year later, uh, a search dog came upon her body along Route 140. Interestingly, Rhodes was acquainted with other women who would later become victims of the New Bedford Highway Killer. These included included Rochelle Clifford Dopirola, Nancy Pava, Mary Rose Santos, and Don Mendez. Four fucking people? She was friends with four other victims. Four other victims. Jesus Christ. So you can see how, even though she wasn't a sex worker, she was connected. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, like, I think a lot of times, like, I'm not saying like, but like risky behavior, drugs, prostitution. Well, think about it. You're associating with the same people. Yeah. I mean, it's. You know, you're all in the same circle and it's a pretty tight world. Yeah. She was also friends with Deborah Medeiros, who is also another victim of the New Bedford Highway Killer. So then the next victim. So do we know anything more about her? Like how she died? Anything? Anything? No. Okay. No. Well, so like, I guess they just assume it was the killer because her body was found and it was along that road or. Well, and he killed over 11 women who were all associated with each other. Okay. Yeah. And all in the same profession. Got it. Rochelle Clifford Dopirola was the next victim. So a month later. And this was one of her friends. One of her friends. A month later, Rochelle disappeared. She was last seen in April 1988, just a couple of miles away from Interstate 195 along Reed Road in New Bedford. Then on December 10th, so she was disappeared in April. um, December 10th, a group of hunters came upon her body at a rock quarry close to I-95. This vicinity would prove to be a frequent dumping site. That's the other connection is like a dumping site. dumping site. Rochelle was 28 years old when she went missing. And according to the medical examination, uh, she appeared to have been beaten to death. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So. And was she, did they say, was she a sex worker or? Yes. Okay. Um, The next victim, Deborah Lynn McConnell. She was last seen alive in May, 1988. 
and her skeletonized remains were discovered by the police along the I-140 corridor after an extensive road search. Okay. So interestingly, the skeleton was fully clothed. Uh, it appeared the cause of death was strangulation with a bra around her neck. Oh, God. Yeah. And huh. she was 25 years old and she was last seen alive in New Bedford. Okay. So I realize this is like a different format than we've done before. But so the next one is Deborah Medeiros. 30-year-old Medeiros was last seen on May 27th, 1988, when she walked out on her boyfriend in New Bedford. In similar fashion as to how uh, McConnell's remains were found that December, Medeiros's remains were partially skeletonized and clothed when they were discovered on July 2nd, 1988. The condition of the skeleton made it difficult to confirm the victim's identity, which wouldn't be made official until seven months later in February of 89. Just like uh, Deborah Lynn McConnell... She also, uh, her remains were also uh, found with a bra around her neck. So and another thing connecting Strangulation, like, another, another thing connecting okay. them. Also, the remains of Robin Rhodes would be found in March 8, 1989 on the same road and across from the exact spot where Medeiros' body was discovered. Oh my God. So I guess, he's just like throwing them wherever. Like trash. Yeah. Yeah, like trash. It also turns out that Medeiros and Rhodes were good friends. So now we've got Christine Montero. Just a few days after, few days after Medeiros disappeared, 19, 19 years old, 19 year old Christine huh. Montero went missing sometime in late May, 1988. Her body has never been found and there is no trace of her whereabouts. She was last seen in New Bedford. She was also a sex worker. It's interesting. The victimology 19 is like the youngest one. And I think 30, 30 so far 30. I mean, that's, that's a <laughs> wide range, but they all have in common that they're sex workers drug or issues, drug addicts yep. or, and lived in New Bedford yeah. and knew each other. Right. Yep. Then um, in June, 1988, 34 year old Marilyn Roberts was the next to vanish from New Bedford. So 34, 34. Wow. Okay. So literally like in late May was 19 year old Christine. And then in June 34 was the 34 year old Marilyn Roberts. So he doesn't, he's not discriminating. Like he's just like sex workers, drugs, basically like we've seen in other cases, you know, Gary Ridgway, Robert Yates, like anything like that. They're assuming that that they're victims that aren't going to be missed. Yeah. They're invisible people. Like that's how they see them. 34 year old Marilyn Roberts uh, was the next to vanish from New Bedford. Her remains just like Montero's have never been found. Roberts's family believes that she is still out there and denies that Roberts had any problems with a drug addiction. Hmm. Okay. Um, she also happened to be Christine Montero's neighbor. That's so fucked up. So that, yeah. le- I mean, like all of this leads me to believe that the person who did commit these crimes, like was part of this. Group. Yeah. Like, I mean, you would think so. Or she, he was either a, a patron or, 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 or a patron or, but he hung out with them. Yeah. Like, but it has to be someone that knew who they were or what crowd they ran in or something like that. Yeah, so absolutely. And just that, Oh, Hey, nobody's going to miss them. Yeah. So Nancy Pava went missing a month later from New Bedford and she was last seen alive on July 7th, 1988. So we've got May, June, and July. They never found the one that uh, disappeared in May, which was Christine Montero. Okay. Again, 19 years old. Um, they ne- And they never found June, the one that happened in June, which was 34 year old Marilyn Roberts. 
And now we get to July. So he's clearly escalating. And he's he's realizing like, that he got away with right. it and is just like, oh, I can do this whenever I want because they're not going to do anything about it. Right. Um, so Nancy Pava was last seen alive on July 7th, 1988. Her body was found this same month in July, uh, on July 30th, along I-195. And her remains were identified in December of that same year. So okay. her remains were not skeletonized or anything. Uh, the cause of death was strangulation. Again, I don't know how hard they looked into this yeah. at all. Their frequency of the abductions had increased, but the police still had no clues as to the person who was responsible. It just seems like if all of these people are connected, there's like, I yeah. guess like, I don't know, like start some watching surveillance or something like all these people are know each other. Like, come on, like yeah. you gotta be able to figure something out. You're just like, come on, just like, just, just, just care yeah, a little bit care. more and not to bad mouth. Like I'm sure I know that there were, there are, and were law enforcement officials and detectives out there that really did care. But it seemed like when it came to this particular demographic, those no. were few and far between. Right. So basically the nature of being a sex worker meant that there'd be no solid leads because sex workers, of course, weren't super willing to speak to, to police. Share, they're not going to show their, share their black books. They're not yeah. going to share their clientele list. They're not going to share their friends. They and just, you can imagine they've had nothing but negative experiences. Yeah. So they're like, no, dude, you just beat me up and arrested me yeah. like last week. I'm not going to tell you anything. Right. There is something interesting though. Pava, Nancy Pava's boyfriend was last seen with Rochelle Clifford Dopierla before she went missing. Huh. So, so do they talk, is he like a suspect at all? Or He was considered a person of interest, but nothing substantial materialized to connect him okay. to either Nancy Pava's or uh, Rochelle's murders. Okay. But yeah, I thought that was interesting because, you know, Rochelle was beaten to death and Nancy, it was assumed that she was strangled. Yeah. So four days later, um, after Nancy disappeared, not when she was found four days later, Deborah DeMello disappeared from new Bedford on July 11th, 1988. The 34 year old's body was found on November 8th mm -hmm. along I 195, just a short distance away from where, uh, Nancy Pava's body was located in July of that year. Her body was found with some of Nancy's items. So oh, God, that's crazy. So like, it creeps me out a little bit because right. I'm, I'm like, were they items that Nancy was killed with and the killer came back because, you know, Nancy, keep in mind, Nancy's body wasn't discovered until July 30th. She disappeared on July 7th. Yeah. Four days after she disappeared on July 11th. So before her body was found, before Nancy's body was found, Deborah disappears. Oh. I mean, so it could just be that it was her, like they, get, she gave her something. Like if it was only four days later, it could be that they, like, it was like Nancy gave Deborah, or was it... Yeah, I mean Nancy could have given Deborah something. So yeah, Deborah, and actually it's really sad. Deborah DeMello had three kids. Uh, a lot of these women were mothers. So what are we up to now? So it's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight victims so far. So the next victim, Mary Rose Santos, uh, vanished on July sixteenth. 
So that's five days after Deborah DeMello. So she vanished on July 16th. She was last seen alive in New Bedford. Same as everyone else. Uh, Her body was found several miles away from New Bedford along Route 88. So maybe the police stepped up and put, you know, the killer could feel the heat turning up on that area. Yeah. And so he decided to move a little bit. I, yeah. So her body wasn't found until March, 1989. Okay. Yeah. So almost a year later. Yeah. Um, The pattern was consistent with the previous victim. She was found uh, without any clothing. Do you know if at the time police were piecing these together and they just didn't care or were they just like, they They were piecing it together. Yeah. Following Santos's disappearance in July, 1988, the next victim went missing on August 11th. So there's a bit more of a time lapse in between there. Like a month or so, right? Or barely. Yeah. July 16th to July 16th to August 11th. And And who knows if there were other people in between. Yeah. There had to be. Yeah. He was going like four days, five days, right. Three days. Yeah. So we can assume that some time lapsed, but probably not. Sure. Probably just took more people. So Sandy Batello was last seen alive in New Bedford. Batello's remains were discovered along I-90, I-195 on April 24th, 1989. Her skeletal remains were uh, found nude and folded into the fetal position. Mm. Uh, Finally, on September 4th, 1988, 25-year-old Dawn Mendez disappeared. Her body was found along the I-195 by a road crew almost three months later on November 29th, 1988. Her remains were skeletonized. She was actually one of 10 children. Oh, so Jesus. So she had a ton of siblings. She had a ton of siblings. Yeah. So that's 11 victims over five months, five months that we know of that we, uh, that we know of. I'm sure there were more. Sure. So the investigation, considering how a majority of these women, like I said, were sex workers and, or had problems with drugs, the chance that more women like we were discussing could have been killed during that period is very likely. Very likely. But after Don Mendez disappeared, you know, around Labor Day of 1988, uh, no further incidents of missing sex workers or drug users were reported in New Bedford. Interesting. So either he left or he got put in jail or he died. Right. Uh, like I mentioned before, Christine Mont- Montero and Marilyn Roberts uh, still remain unaccounted for to this day. So they disappeared in May and June of 1988. So once the bodies started to be discovered along I-195 and two other local highways, the authorities finally took action at some some point. So they were hampered by the lack of DNA testing. Sure. As well as other forensic detection methods. A lot of those forensic detection methods were in their infancy, like in the late 80s, if if you think about it. The chief investigator at the time believed that they were close to finding out the identity of the killer. Okay. He also believed that there might be more than one killer operating in New Bedford. Like that these weren't even like related, like not like a team, but like two separate people. Two separate people. I don't know. I I feel like since all the... I mean, a lot of the women knew each other. A lot of them had the same profession. If anything, they all hung out in the same 
crowd. Similar ways of murdering. Similar um, ways of murdering. And also, like, the bodies were all dumped in the same area. Right. There was as many as 30 investigators who were working on the highway killings at one time. And they did have a computer database that was created to compile all the connections and the leads that were accumulating. Okay. Police also attempted to enlist the behavioral science unit of the FBI and did their best to get witnesses to offer any information that could help them. There was just a huge amount of distrust among that particular class of people like you can't blame them yeah you can, you know you really can't it's and like, like today like people of color not trusting police like it's understandable yeah they were trying to to get help for this but yeah i mean so they had the bsu come in they were they, they had, had the bsu sort of internal database local women were finding themselves more and more at risk not just sex workers like Ooh, just uh just women in okay. general while the initial feeling of course was that the killer was only targeting sex workers and those was you know substance abuse issues but other women were concerned that anyone could be next yeah it's really sad but the alarm really wasn't set off i mean again yeah they were making some efforts to to solve this but it seems like the women who weren't sex workers and were local and because they were now being more vocal about being afraid then they kind of increased their drive to find the killer sure In 2007, they reopened the New Bedford Highway killings. So um, I think... So, okay. So like eight years or not eight. 17. Yeah. 17. (laughs) Welcome to math. (laughs) Like five years. Like it's been five years. Wow. You were born in 1988. (laughs) However many. And you didn't know how old you were in 2007. (laughs) Sure didn't. But it was a cold case by... Uh, 1990. Like they just, they had no clues, like no new leads or anything like that. So no new information. They worked it for as long as they felt comfortable and were like, which was approximately two years, which was seven minutes. Yeah. (laughs) Which was, yeah. During this time though, Cardoza Roberts, the father of Marilyn Roberts kept looking for any sign of his daughter. Yeah. um, Because she, she's still missing to this day. So in 1996, eight years after uh, his daughter went missing, his son, Robert, died of cancer. So, oh, yeah, that always gets me. Yeah. Like, when there's, you know... It sounds super insensitive. But do you ever wonder if, like, did that family do something horrible in a previous life? Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, like, how is that possible right. that that can all happen to right. one family? It just is like, what the fuck did... What happened? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. No, no, I I thought that. I'm not as terrible as you. I wouldn't say that. Um, <laughs> one of us said it out loud, but now I'm going to go home and block you on my phone. Yeah. I live next door, Kate. You yeah. Can't get away from me. Can't, Can I you can't. imagine that? Oh my God. Block. I'm like, Kate, I, I can hear you. I know you're in your house. I'm never leave. Knocking on your window. You're like, close the blinds. You know I never close them. Right. This entire neighborhood's seen me naked at least three times. Um, so now we're now we're down to suspects. So they did have they did have a couple people they were looking at. Uh, one of them was Anthony DeGrazia. He was also known as Flat Nose Ooh. because I'm guessing he had a flat nose. Yeah. I'm just uh, 
He was a notoriously violent rapist. I'd actually heard of him before. Jesus. um, Who had targeted several sex workers in the past. Um, So DeGrazia was a construction worker by trade. He was pointed out, he was 26 years old. He was pointed out by a sex worker in May, 1989, after his photo was circulated among them by the police while inquiring about uh, victims of the New Bedford highway killer. So one sex worker operating in New Bedford was also shown the photo. And while she didn't identify him right away, she did describe her assailant. And she said, like, he has a boxer-like build and a flat nose. I mean, it's got to be pretty flat to be an identifying feature and to have a nickname flat nose. Like, you don't get that. Like, yeah. (laughs) Like, someone who's really short doesn't have the nickname High Pockets. Like, (laughs) uh, (laughs) I'm not. Uh, oh my god! I had an uncle that called me my pocket. Oh my god, that's so rude. Yeah, it's horrible. I know. Like, you don't have to tell me. Oh, like, really, I'm the one that's dealing that with the before. trauma. I've yeah. never heard that before. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna call my friend Adam High Pockets. Hi- so oh, he is tall. so tall. <laughs> he High Pockets. <laughs> so this sex worker who said uh, her assailant had a flat nose and a boxer-like build, uh, she was a 22-year-old. Her name was Margaret Medeiros. Um, she testified to a secret grand jury. I don't know what a secret grand jury is. Do you? Shh. <laughs> it's a secret. You can't tell me. You can't tell me. They all like met me. under a pillow fort. <laughs> and they're like. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> they all have flashlights. <laughs> <laughs> That's obviously what it is. We're ridiculous. Yeah. I cannot believe that you practice the law. Um <laughs> So anyway, she testified to this grand jury that DeGrazia looked like the man who had tried to choke her and attacked her. So of course they brought him in for questioning, but he wasn't indicted. So the DA petitioned a court judge to issue a warrant for DeGrazia's arrest in connection with assaults and rapes, not murders, but assaults and rapes of several sex workers. However, when DeGrazia learned about the warrant, he and his attorney surrendered to the court where DeGrazia was formally charged. Initially, his bail was set at 180000 which seems low to me for, like... Vi- at the, when was this? This was in the 80s? Yeah. That was probably more like a half a million at that time. Yeah. Roughly, maybe. Anyway, he was unable to pay, and he spent 13 months in the county jail. In the clink. In the clink! <laughs> DeGrazia was later released in June 1990... Um, because the DA's office was just unable to produce any evidence. Well, he got 13 months for the rapes and assaults. Then he was just released because they had no evidence. He was found dead on July 17th, 1990 at his ex-girlfriend's parents' house in Freetown, Massachusetts. His death was ruled as a suicide. Um, most importantly, no evidence was ever presented connecting DeGrazia to the new Bedford Highway killings. So I think that's safe to say. Yeah, that he wasn't. <clears throat> it wasn't him. They did identify one other person um, uh, as a prime suspect, uh, Kenneth Pont um, or Ponty. <laughs> I'm wearing lacy Pontes. <laughs> I, I shot in my Pontes. I shot in my Pontes. <laughs> we are children. I know, I'm five years old. <laughs> Anyway, so like, you were like, I'm wearing lace ponies. And I'm like, I'm just took a shot. Took a shit in my ponties. That's where I go. I just paid a little in my ponties. <laughs> um, so 40 <laughs> year old Kenneth, I would not give him my ponties. Uh, um, 
by his own admission, Ponty had been or Pont, I can't, I can't unsay it. I yeah. can't, I, every time I see it now, I say it. By his own admission, Pont had been the attorney for three of the victims and oh. was even romantically involved with one other victim. What? And he'd been involved in an incident with another victim as well as incidents involving drug abuse. Huh. That's interesting. So the month that he represented uh, one of the victims, Rochelle, was the same month she went missing. Hmm. Yeah. In the original investigation, they did thoroughly search his old residence after he moved for any evidence using specially trained dogs, but they didn't come up with any results. And then the newly appointed special prosecutor uh, declared any charges against Pont um, that resulted from that just be withdrawn for lack of evidence. Okay. So, so there was just not enough. He, he just, yeah. Uh, the exploits of the New Bedford highway killer have uh, often been connected to similar killings in, well, they list uh, Portugal, Denmark, Czech Republic, and the Netherlands. Um, in Portugal specifically, there was a killer known as the Lisbon Ripper, and it's speculated that both sets of incidents taking place on both sides of the Atlantic, so in New Bedford and in Lisbon, were committed by the same man. Hmm. The reason they believe that is... Uh, the fact that the killings in Portugal took place from 1992, a few years after the killing stopped. So like you said, uh, in New Bedford um, in 1989, the, the victims in Portugal were all sex workers as well as women with drug addiction. Okay. So it's so the same, same victim pool. Yeah. Yeah. As I mentioned before, the population in New Bedford was, there was a large percentage yeah. that was uh, Portuguese American. Right. And it was because, Immigrants from Portugal settled in New Bedford for the fishing industry and whaling industry in the 19th century. So it's it's possible that the New Bedford highway killer could be Portuguese or have roots sure. back in Portugal, like family back in Portugal, right. um, and started operating there as Absolutely. the Lisbon Ripper. Like right. maybe he started to feel like they were getting close to finding out what he had done and was had family still back there and was like, I'm going to leave and go. Skedaddle. Yeah. I'm going to skedaddle. I'm <laughs> sure that's what he said. That's according to my son. It's discaddle. Discaddle. You know, he said it. He was like, we shouldn't get discaddle. And I'm like, what are you saying? And I realized he was trying to say skedaddle and I about died. So the victims of the Lisbon Ripper. So we'll talk about Lisbon uh, here for just a second. So the Ripper is responsible for the murders of three female sex workers in Lisbon and two others across what is called the Tagus Tagus River between 1992 and 1993. Okay. The three victims in Lisbon were killed and then brutally disemboweled by a sharp instrument that wasn't a knife, but may have been a scalpel. What? The other two sex workers were shot dead. Okay. So that's, that's a strange, that's in terms of like how they're killed. That's yeah. Very different. Yeah. Modus operandi. Different MO for, <laughs> for these five victims. The victims included Maria Valentina. She was 22 years old. She also went by Tina. She was found and- out on July 31st, 1992. <laughs> she was lying in a pool of her own blood inside a cabin and had been strangled and then disemboweled. Some of her organs had been removed entirely. What the fuck? Yeah. It's gross. Okay. So we got sex worker. We've got the sex worker connection. Right. We've got the time frame. Sure. But and we've got the Portuguese Portuguese thing, but that's, that's not enough. I, I just, 
I don't see it. Yeah, because the methodology is just so... Yeah, it's very different. Yeah. And they were all disemboweled, all three victims? Two of them were shot dead. Yeah, the two that were... Yeah, the... Across the river. Yeah. Yeah. So six months after Tina, another sex worker would suffer the same fate. On July 27th, 1993, Maria Fernanda was also found in a cabin in Entrecampos with her body disemboweled and her organs removed. Weird. Um, the body of the 24 year old sex worker was found by uh, railway construction workers. And uh, they just happened to be working in the area. Um, this appeared to be the work of the same killer involved in the Valentina killing as the body had been viciously disemboweled. But not only that, uh, her, her uh, breasts had been cut off. Okay. This is just too different. Way yeah. Too different. It's so different than because it's, you know, you have to believe that like the new Bedford highway killer, he had opportunity. Yeah. And if that was his MO, he had plenty of time to right. do it. Right. Like no one was on to him. Yeah. Like they weren't even close to catching him yeah. despite what they'd said. I don't believe it. No. Um, so why wouldn't he do that? Like you don't just pick that up one day. Like, Oh, I think I'll just cut her breasts off no. and like, no. you know, disembowel her. Yeah. No. That seems to me like it's a tenuous connection right. at best. And then there was a third and final victim in Lisbon named uh, Maria, another sex worker who lived alone in the ghetto. And her body was also disemboweled, but this time all of, all of her organs were removed. She was discovered on March 15th, 1993, not too far from where Val Valentina's body was found. Um, furthermore, they uh, both Maria and Valentina happened to be friends. Okay. Um, huh. <clears throat> As we unfortunately, as we've seen before, there was no tangible evidence, and so the investigation just kind of stopped cold. Okay, so as a result of this, news traveled across the Atlantic, and both countries dispatched teams of investigators to the other in March 1993, with two FBI agents arriving in Lisbon and two detectives of the Portuguese Policia Judiciaria traveling to New Bedford. So the goal was to collect as much information on the Lisbon Ripper and the New Bedford Highway killings as possible to find a tangible connection. Okay. So <clears throat> they were making an effort, but the prevailing theory was that both sets of crimes could be committed by the same man, considering the MO and the profile of the victims being sex, sex workers, as well as struggling with substance abuse. The most obvious connection stemmed from the fact that New Bedford had a large uh, percentage of Portuguese sure. residents. And then I guess an even more prominent fact was, uh, or supporting fact was that most of the new Bedford highway victims also had Portuguese ancestry. Okay. If they're all from like, if yeah, if new Bedford has a large Portuguese community and the girls that come out of that community that, sh that turn to sex work, you know, the likelihood of them being Portuguese is also great as well. Sure. So the FBI theorized that the killer could have been a member of the New Bedford Portuguese community, but had decided to escape to Portugal after the last murders in 1989, sure. which is what we said, you know, if he had family there, there were some discrepancies in theory um, as the, as we said, like the bodies in, in Portugal had been horribly mutilated right. and disemboweled. Also the bodies in Lisbon had most or all of their organs removed. Right. While most of the bodies found in New Bedford were skeletonized, so they could not tell, they could have been That's slashed true. and disemboweled. That's true. The others found soon after their disappearance appear to have been strangled sure. or beaten to death. Sure. So 
I don't know. Maybe he switched his MO to yeah, avoid maybe, detection. Maybe. Maybe. I, 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 don't, I, I just don't, don't think it. it's very likely. No. And I also think like the sex worker connection, that's not that's that unusual. Unique. No, no. There were, there was a suspect in the Lisbon Ripper case. I won't really go into it um, because it was the same result. Uh, he was found not guilty due to lack of evidence Basically, this there was a reality show in Portugal. This guy was on it, and he made some kind of comment uh, that was considered a confession. And later, he took it back and said that it was a joke. He was a construction worker, but no prior work history could or record of like tracking his movements could be found. So there was really, it, I mean, there was nothing they could do in that case. But so it's like it seems to me like it's a handful of suspects in the New Bedford Highway killings and then like one or two guys in Lisbon. So the crimes of the Lisbon Ripper and the crimes of the New Bedford Highway Killer could be related, maybe not. Either way, for either of them, they never arrested okay. and charged anyone for the crimes. So the pe- the two that are still missing, mm-hmm. their, fa- their families like to this day still just think that they're... One family, at least, thinks that she's still out there. Rough. Yeah, this guy, this dirtbag, um, whoever he was or is, like, I mean, because he could still be alive. Yeah. You know, he took more than than victims. Like, he took, he broke an entire family. Yeah. And, I mean, um, all of these women had, like, most of the women had children or yep. siblings or parents yep. or. Someone who loved them. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. You love the ones where we don't get good acting. <laughs> I'm thinking of depressing things rather than be like, they solved it. Yeah. You're well, like, uh-huh. we've, it, we've done some where they were like, they may or may not have gotten That's the right true. guy. That's very true. Like, it's, you know, yeah. so we can't really fault the justice system for that. Yeah. Like, because they didn't get anybody. Thank you so much, Kate, for another very interesting cliffhanger of an episode. You international ties. Yeah, international Possibly. Exciting. Make sure you like us, subscribe, all that good stuff. Tell all your friends about the podcast. Find us on Instagram at Premeditated Podcast. That's where Kate posts all of the funny stuff. Send us an email at thepremeditatedpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, tell your folks we says hi. We were way better that time. Yeah, we were. (laughs)